Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word and for your spirit that convicts us and empowers us to follow Jesus. Speak to us again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most painful circumstances that I I have witnessed as a pastor is that of a woman or a couple who cannot bear children. It's a kind of suffering that strikes at the very heart, at the deepest level of what it means to be human and to be a family in many ways. And this suffering causes isolation for the one who endures it. It tends to make people turn away from us, as Simone Weil observed. We find Hannah this morning in just that situation. She is grieving because she is not able to bear children. And in that day and time, the suffering that associated with that was even greater than it is in our day because of the stigma that went along with it. If a woman were not able to bear children, well, God must have cursed her for some reason. And you can hear it even in the story today by her husband's other wife, Penina, the way she derided her, the way she ran her down. She looked down on Hannah because of her affliction. Even her husband, who we read loved her, couldn't quite understand the depth of Hannah's suffering. He tried to show his love, we read, by giving her twice the amounts of food that he gave to his other wife and her children. Bless his heart. Married men, could I get an amen here? He was trying to provide for her stuff that had nothing to do with where her pain and suffering was. It got lost in translation. The implied answer that he gives, that's given, is that no, you're not worth more than 10 sons, which is really just to say it's, it's kind of apples and oranges. The love of one's spouse and the love of one's children are definitely related, but they are different entities. Valerie Bridgman in her commentary writes that these words from Elkanah seem to be about him and his vision of the world with no real understanding of his wife's emotional or spiritual world. As Robert Alter notes, the double-edged poignancy of these words is that they at once express Elkanah's deep and solicitous love for Hannah and his inability to understand how inconsolable she feels about her affliction of barrenness. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't you love me? That's the isolation of suffering, of knowing that no one knows the trouble you've seen and indeed being buried underneath it. Hannah takes her trouble to the house of God. As we read, she did regularly and she pours out her prayers before God. Lord Almighty, she prays, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me, look and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She pleads that God would remember her, that God would see her in the parlance of today, right? That he would acknowledge her suffering. 
Hannah takes her case to the one who can do something about it. She takes her case to God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, to acknowledge the pain, she asks, and the suffering that she is enduring by granting her a son. Note well that this is a prayer that only God can answer. Only God can give life. Only God can create life. I was in a small group for an alpha course once, and one of the other members of the circle, as we were discussing miraculous healings in Scripture, does that ever happen anymore? One of the other participants was a doctor. And at one point, he said, you know, I've never healed anybody. He said, I can mend a broken bone, and I can stitch up skin around it, but I can't make it grow back together. Only God can do that. And so it is true that even though we have new technologies and things that might help us today that they did not have in Hannah's day, it is still the truth that only God can give life. And that's why Hannah goes straight to the one who could do something about it. She went straight to God. It is true. But hear what she prays. She makes a covenant with God that if he will give her a son, she would in turn dedicate that son back to God for God's service. That wording about the razor not touching his head is a word of this one is going to be set apart. For the Nazarites, they didn't cut their hair ever. She said, I will give him back to you, God, if you will give me a son. And that's really the essence of stewardship that we talk about today. Understanding that everything that we have that is worth anything, the most important things in our lives can only come from God. And they do come from God. Understanding that God has given us everything that genuinely matters in life is the beginning of stewardship. And the grateful heart is the one rightly ordered before God, is the one that offers all those things back for God's service. Knowing that when God gives us gifts, it is in a sense of trust. Everything belongs to God, but we are entrusted with those gifts for a season, whether it's our time and our talent and our treasure, or it is our children. They don't belong to us. They belong to God above all else. And the question of our lives is what we will do with those things which God has entrusted us with. What will we do with the very life that God has entrusted to us? Hannah was bitterly weeping as she prayed in the temple, so much so that the prophet Eli, or the priest Eli who was there saw her and he thought she was drunk. Not an uncommon occurrence in scripture that when somebody's having a moment with God, other people might think they're drunk. It happened at Pentecost. It happened even with Jesus. She was weeping uncontrollably, and their exchange is almost comical, but it is redemptive. When he tells her to stop being drunk, essentially, she says, I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my grief and anguish. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. 
She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah was suffering yet another painful mistreatment at the hands of the priest, of Eli, who assumed that she was drunk. Yet Hannah responds not as we would expect her to, with anger, with brokenness, but with a plea for understanding, a plea to be seen by the prophet Eli, a, a plea to be acknowledged in her pain. Again, just as she pleaded with God, now she pleaded with the man of God who was before her, see and acknowledge my pain that I am living in, to truly see the suffering that she was enduring and the holy offering that was her tears that she brought to God in his house. And Eli did see her. Eli acknowledged her. He dismissed her with shalom, peace, and blessing that God would do for her what she asked. And a miraculous thing happened. Maybe not a huge miracle as they go, but we read that Hannah went and got something to eat and her face was no longer downcast. There was no small miracle for that woman, what God had done in that place. Her spirit was already healed before she saw the fulfillment of the promise of God. We go on to read that Hannah indeed ha had been seen and acknowledged by God. He gave her a son and named, she named him Samuel. Samuel became one of the greatest prophets of the entire Old Testament. Think of the story of this one who anointed King Saul, the very first king of Israel, and King David, the greatest king in all of Israel. The prophet Samuel anointed those two. Who would have thought that that one would have come from a woman who was pouring her eyes out, crying because she could not have children? Only God could imagine that, much less make it come to pass. What can God do with our suffering? What can God do with our tears? For many of us, it's a lot easier to bring the good stuff to God, right? Thank you, God, for my many blessings. We could share those in the company of the righteous. We can bring our best to God. We can come to church and share those things with everybody. God's been so good to me. And it always amazes me that people assume everybody else's life is more together than their own. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever feel that? Everybody else's life is perfect and I'm a mess. My family's a mess. People assume that they are the only ones going through the troubled waters of life. But friends, let me assure you, as someone reminded me this week, we're usually in one of three places as human beings. We're going into trouble, we're in the middle of trouble, or we're coming out of trouble. Those are the stations of life. Suffering is common for all of us. Trouble in this life is common for everybody. The question is what we'll do with it. 
The question is, can God redeem it? God's redemption of Hannah's suffering is not the same that he, as he gives to everyone. We have to acknowledge today that prayers are not always answered in the way that we want them to be. Not every prayer for a child is granted. And there's a special level of pain that goes along with that in the mystery of God. But I believe that part of God's redemption of our suffering and pain is that he allows our wounds to be scars on us so that we might minister to others as well. The one who suffered is much more likely to see and acknowledge the other one who is suffering, the other one who is in pain, the other one to whom no one else is paying attention or they have to avert their eyes away from because the suffering is so severe. The one who has suffered is more likely to acknowledge and to see that one and not be like Elkina or like Eli, who could not understand Hannah's suffering. It's the stuff that God uses if we commit it to him. Being able to take our pain and let it be redeemed in ministry to another one who is going through a similar situation. We had a powerful experience of this on, on the men's retreat last month. And it's, it's still, this is an experience that I'm unpacking in my own mind and soul. Um, but I wanted to share it with you. We were going uh, on a hike on Saturday afternoon. And uh, to be completely transparent, five minutes before we were supposed to leave, I was laying in my bed and I wanted to take a nap. I just wanted to take a nap, but I'm the pastor. So, you know, go on the hike. As we went up the mountain for an interminable period of time, uh, about an hour and a half later, it seems like some of us wanted to turn around. We're like, these cats don't know where they're going. So we turned around, a little band of us turned around and went down the mountain. And as we were coming down, we saw a couple that was going past us, upside high, high as they went by. And by the time they got to the end of us, they said, is that Owen? And I turned around and they said, it's Todd and Jeannie from Atlanta. They are good friends of my best friend in Atlanta, and I had not seen them in five or six years. Um, I'd only seen them probably 10 times ever. I didn't recognize them when they went by. And they said, what's going on? I said, well, I live in Charlotte now, and these are guys from my church, and we're up here on a retreat. What are you guys doing here? And they both started sobbing. And they said, we just dropped our daughter off at an inpatient facility. And we thought we'd go take a hike. And all I can say, <laughs> I got nothing. Can we pray for you? I don't know what their religious convictions are, but they said, please. So the guys gathered around and we laid hands on and prayed for them. As I followed up with them a little more recently, their daughter's 11 years old and had been in the throes of suffering with their family for over a year. Why was I so surprised that God appointed that moment? Why don't I expect God to be doing God things in my life every day? 
Why is it? What am I missing that God is already doing? Because I am distracted by the same stuff that everybody else is distracted by. What opportunity for ministry to others am I missing? My buddy Pete, who's their good friend, I talked to him later that week as well. And Todd had talked to Pete about that as well. And he said, do you think I should call Todd? And I said, yeah. Well, he goes, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I said, there's nothing you can say. We are not capable of pulling someone else out of the pit of suffering. But what we can do is climb down in the pit with them so they know that they are not alone. And do you know that in that place, when you choose to climb down into the pit of suffering with one, you reflect the one who climbed down in a pit for us, the one who went to a cross. You mediate the very presence of God in Jesus Christ to that person who is suffering because you've already suffered as well. And when we are there, it is the most profound experience of ministry that I have ever had that, it, that has happened in those places where I didn't have anything to offer to fix the situation. I didn't have any solution or answer, but I could show up and let them know that they are not alone. And because I am there, somehow that points to the fact that God is there too. Would you give your life to that? Would you give your life to mediating that presence of Christ to a suffering and broken world full of suffering and broken people? Friends, God just doesn't, doesn't just want our good times and our happy gifts. He wants our suffering and our pain as well to give it to him, to offer it to him for whatever he would do with it. What can God do with our suffering? God only knows. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I pray healing in this house today. I pray for those who are enduring suffering and pain, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, relational, wherever they are in this sanctuary, I pray for your Holy Spirit to descend and to heal them. I pray for faith to pour out our souls before you as Hannah did so long ago. And we pray, God, for miracles. We pray for you to make yourself evident. God, give us grace, too, that we would not miss seeing people, that we would not miss acknowledging people, but that we might have the privilege of letting them know that they are not alone because we are there and because you are there, almighty God. Call us again as your children that we might come to you. Redeem the pain, redeem the loss, bring life from death. And so 
May we give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.